May I have, May the, I envelope, have the envelope, please? please. And the splendid, splendid blow goes to... Movies, Bill. What has happened to the great, great films of yesteryear? What, what, what has become of them? What has become of those? Where, where are the snows of yesteryear? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Are, are you doing? Uh, That's a, a quote from some French writer that I learned when I was in high school. But you also sound like you were, you were, you were. Où est la neige d'antan? Could you give me a little Olivier with that? Olivier. Olivier, yeah. I've never done Olivier. You've never done Olivier? You? Olivier and in French? And in French. This is a challenge. Where are the snows of yesteryear? <laughs> Perfect. That's all, that's all I needed. That's all? Okay, that's all good. I needed, Let's move baby. on from there. So, we have a, an actor a, a little less illustrious than Sir Lawrence Olivier, or Lord Olivier. Well, it depends uh, upon your. It depends upon if you're slumming or not, because our actor may not have reached Olivier standards. But he was in over 300, ladies and gentlemen, motion pictures and television programs. Yes, and, and if you are of a certain age and you remember Dobie Gillis, you will remember this man with extreme fondness. The many loves of Dobie Gillis, the actor who enhanced the motion picture, The Lost Weekend, that we will discuss, Mr. Frank Phelan. The film is based on a best-selling novel by Charles Jackson, about a writer doing all he can, be it to beg, borrow, or steal, in order to get a drink. Powerful stuff, especially for 1945. And after the film was made, it was initially shelved because test screenings of the movie were disastrous. People at that time weren't accustomed to seeing anything so realistically drawn. They went to the movies to be entertained. So at previews of the movie, most audiences gave it a thumbs down. In fact, the reactions were so negative, Paramount Studios seriously toyed with the idea of never releasing it, just writing it off. What saved the movie was the so-called Bel Air movie circuit, which is what they always called the private home projection rooms of the Hollywood bigwigs. From those home screening rooms, positive word of mouth began filtering out. Eventually, the raves and the buzz convinced Paramount to at least give the movie a few test showings in theaters all around the country. And from there, it became not just a blockbuster, but the picture of the year. So have a look. Here from 1945, also starring Jane Wyman, the Academy Award-winning film of 1945, The Lost Weekend. Frank yes. Phelan, wins, God bless you. This uh, Lost Weekend from 1945, uh, released by Paramount, 
This is a Billy Wilder creation, which I think I knew, but I forgot. This is the Billy man, Wilder and Charles, Charles Brackett wrote it. Billy Wilder directed it. The same man that gave us Some Like It Hot. Yeah, us, and, uh, and uh, Sunset Boulevard sunset. and so many other iconic films. Think about the work that he, think about what he got out of Gloria Swanson, what he got out of Marilyn Monroe, what he yeah. got out of Tony Curtis, and then take a look back at what he got out of Ray Milland, who later oh went God, on, yeah. who later went on to have to be the second head on Rosie Greer's <laughs> neck in the motion picture, The Man with Two Heads. This is the night of thrills in Hollywood with the coveted Oscars as the prizes. Ray Milland receives his from Ingrid Bergman for his performance in The Lost Weekend. I want to present you this award for the best actor of 1945, Ray Milland, Lost Weekend. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. I'm greatly honored. Yep. So yep. the genius yep. of Billy Now, this Wild. film was a big hit. It was made for $1.25 million and it earned $11 million. Uh, it won four Oscars, picture, director, actor, and adapted screenplay. And it won the prize uh, at, at a Palme d'Or uh, at Cannes. So and it was filmed, interestingly, partially in Bellevue, which with hidden cameras, so for authenticity. And that is where our, our man, Frank Phelan, does his work. He plays Bim, and Bim is uh, one of the attendants on the alcoholic ward. Um, the what, what sends chills through me is I saw this film first on the million dollar movie as a preteen. Little did I know I would go on to my own personal career in alcoholism and will uh, in November be celebrating 42 years in, of sobriety. And how does this, the behavior and the, the way this man behaves in this film, how does that correspond to what you know and you've seen? There is probably no greater demonstration of the illness. And you have to commend the, first of all, the screenwriting is impeccable. Matt, weave me enough. Better take it easy. Oh, don't worry about me. Just let me know when it's a quarter of six. Okay. Come on, Matt. Join me. One little jigger of dreams, huh? No, thanks. You don't approve of drinking? Not the way you drink. It shrinks my liver, doesn't it, Matt? It pickles my kidneys, yes. But what does it do to my mind? It tosses the sandbags overboard so the balloon can soar. Suddenly, I'm above the ordinary. I'm competent, supremely competent. I'm walking a tightrope over Niagara Falls. I'm one of the great ones. I'm Michelangelo molding the beard of Moses. I'm Van Gogh painting pure sunlight. I'm Horowitz playing the Emperor Concerto. I'm John Barrymore before the movies got him by the throat. I'm Jesse James and his two brothers, all three of them. I'm W. Shakespeare. And out there, it's not Third Avenue any longer. It's the Nile, man. The Nile, and down it moves the barge of Cleopatra. Kimmy. 
purple the sails and soul perfumed that the winds were lipsick with them. The oars were silver, which to the tune of flutes kept stroke. The understanding is impeccable. Ray Milland is impeccable. Jane Wyman as the enabling but loving companion. Yeah, the brother is really interesting. And too. the brother is fascinating. Just but even in that first scene, I was like, they grab you from the first scene because there's a bottle hanging outside the window, outside the window of his apartment. And you're wondering, and they don't pay any attention to the bottle. It's just hanging. And, and you don't, you're kind of partially aware of it. And he's just trying to get them out of the room. And as soon as he, <laughs> they go, he pulls the bottle up from the window and you go, oh, we're in for a ride here. We are in for a ride. But can you imagine how many people who had to, in silence, suffer through this illness? Because in those days, you were admitted to psychiatric institutions. There were no real, there was no real treatment for. Well, it's always been considered a lacking of personal character. Of personal character, right. And will. Yeah. you know, now we know it's a disease, but even so, I think most people still uh, consider it uh, a failing. I think that there's always going to be people who are judgmental, period, and feel that everyone has a choice. And I believe what I've learned is ultimately you have a choice, but you need to be educated about what the problem is in order to make the choice. So the choice to stop is something that you're offered within the context of this film as you watch these horrors um, pervade the screen in this black and white imagery, which is... Well, I must say the ending is a bit of a cop-out. Yes, you would agree? Yeah, and as, as we mentioned, you have to find a, you have to find a finale. And so the finale, of course, is the writer you, is going you'll to write the book. It's he's all going to write better. the book and you're going to be better now. That's not how it works. How it works. is <laughs> You got to put a lot of hard work in and you've got to spend sometimes thousands of nights um, devoted to the idea that staying sober is the only credible existence that you're going to have Um to, to obtain this existence. The only thing I can equate it to from my personal experience is cigarettes. And I know it's, it doesn't compare in a way, but uh, I started smoking when I was 12 and I couldn't quit until I was 40. And I had tried numerous times. But I had a heart attack. And on that very day, that was the last cigarette that I had. That was 17 years ago. So I can credit the heart attack with having saved my life, but having had a good friend that just died of lung cancer who knew all the issues and was married to uh, my wife, and they fought constantly. She knew what was coming because she had a son who died of cancer. You can tell anybody anything. When it comes to addiction, this is still a forest that is being explored, investigated, and by psychiatrists, psychoanalysts. And I think the only guy that got it right and got it simple, because you keep it simple, stupid, which is one of the slogans, is a gentleman named Bill Wilson, who just 
put himself in the room with another alcoholic and they began to talk it out. And the next thing yeah. you know, you've got this. Well, he changed the world. There is someone who literally changed the world. There's, there's no doubt him. about it. And even though his life was de dedicated to psychedelics toward the end, because he was, was right? yeah, he was still seeking. Um, but of course, psychedelics did not place him in the life jeopardy that um, alcoholism will will do. It is it is a individual disease. It's a family disease. It will eat your brain. It will eat your liver. It will eat your stomach. I threw up my stomach lining five different times. I oh, have wow. been in twelve different rehabs. And when I was coming up as a teenager. As you will recall, they didn't have alcoholic wards for teenagers. They no. put you in with the grown-ups, and the grown-ups would tell you, hey, kid, it's a phase you're going through. Don't worry. You got time. <laughs> Don't worry. You got time. So, yeah, The Lost Weekend holds a great deal of, uh, of I, I don't, I, you can't say I'm fond of it. You can't say that, but I can tell you this. As a, as someone who has devoted a great deal of his life to what motion pictures can give to society, this artistically and socially is one of the most important motion pictures ever made. Now, you want to hear something interesting. In my research, I found out that when they were doing previews on this film, the audience were laughing at uh, Ray Milan's performance, uh, which is described in this article as overwrought. But once they added Miklos Roja's score, it totally changed the whole perception of the film. This They used the theremin, too, which was very interesting, um, to kind of signal, you know, his distress. Uh, but isn't that interesting that the underbed of the scoring change the perception of the level of intensity of the performance? Particularly when we're going back to 1945, I think that the more delicate the information being delivered, the more nervous the audience was bound to get. Um, sure, sure. You take a film like Best Years of Our Lives about returning soldiers from a war that devastated uh, devastated this nation. They added that score, but even without that score, you had an event that everyone could identify with because everyone was affected. Alcoholism was still considered as being gay. Is you If you didn't understand it, you were going to laugh at it. Yeah, that makes sense. So before we move on to Frank Phelan, with our full concentration. We'll just say that um, Ray Milland was born Alfred Reginald Jones, and he was Welsh. He wasn't an American. Um, he did a fine job. But Frank Phelan was born in 1905 uh, and lived till 1985, was born Charles Francis Ruff, or Ruff, R-U-F. R-U-F, yes. Um, he... This role of Bim, the orderly at Bellevue, was his breakthrough. I mean, it was really up until then, most of his credits were uncredited. And he was 40 years old. 
when this breakthrough occurred? Well, prior to that, um, he appeared as Walt Disney's musical conductor in The Reluctant Dragon and was remembered in the Laurel and Hardy film, A Haunting We Will Go. Um, sure, sure. But in terms of saying, who is this guy? This guy is making an impression. Bim. You know, uh, it's a it's a harrowing uh, performance, you know, because everybody is, you know, and I, we, originally we had talked about um, Howard De Silva as the bartender. We both agreed that he didn't do as much with that opportunity as he may have done. That could have been the signature role. But Bim, the orderly, is the only character in the film that is straight talking, no nonsense, not coddling, you know, very blunt, sarcastic, you know, just really, it's 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 incredibly strong uh, appearance. It's very short. Well, it's very short, but it's it's probably one of the most effective moments in the film because it does drive that nail into the seeming coffin. Yeah, it's the crescendo. It, yeah, yeah. There's there are discussions and there's an acting out and 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 his brother Wick. You mentioned the oddness of that relationship. His relationship with um, with Jane Wyman and how she is attempting to grapple with the notion of of who he is, but of course, women were relegated back then to having to play straightforward, supportive. Well, yes, and they didn't really. I mean, it, it it's it kind of hinted at a sexual tension between the brother and, and Jane Wyman. Oh, absolutely. That was never. Yeah. Uh, acted upon absolutely or even mentioned absolutely but you have to take into consideration that this was very intentional that type of casting because if it were idle lapino being cast she would have kicked on burnham's ass yeah you know so it's it's you had to be able to deal with wilder and brackets screenplay and be able to cast it efficiently and if anyone was a master at knowing exactly who he needed for a motion picture, it was Billy Wilder. But Frank Phelan was basically considered a bit player um, for most of his career. It's 4.30. You said you'd have the six in 15 minutes. Yeah, well, this pile of junk, you couldn't fix it in 15 years. Punxsutawney Vacuum Cleaner Company, Punxsutawney Pennsylvania. How did you ever come to buy a pile of junk like this? Well, he was such a persistent salesman. You know how those vacuum cleaner salesmen are. Once they put their foot in the door, you either have to kill them or buy a vacuum cleaner to get rid of them. Yeah, so well, I bought the vacuum cleaner. If one of them shows up around here, I will not buy the vacuum cleaner. I'll kill him. Why don't you stop peeking over my shoulder? We're going to play cards. Go get dressed. Change that thing. You look like you've been mopping the house with yourself. <laughs> Come on. By the time you change, I'll have this finished. I'll believe it when I see it. Adobe Gillis, what year did that... Uh, that was probably 1959 or 58. Doby Gillis is, is they, it started in the 50s. Yeah, so I'm saying 58. Yeah, 58 to say 63 or so. Right. That was, that was similar to, you know, we were trying to discuss Frank Sutton in an earlier episode. That, that was uh, Phelan's 
you know, final culmination in terms of career identifiability. But he also went on from Dobie Gillis to That Girl, which was a moderate success for the time. Oh, yes, right. He was, uh, who was he, Ted Bessel's father? He played um, Bert Hollinger, Ted Bessel's father, yes. Yes, yeah, yeah. He also played the cab driver in It's a Wonderful Life. And that, that was, was the, the following year after, right. uh, the, uh, after The Lost Weekend. And the best that he was able to get uh, after that, that performance was that particular uh, small role, but a small role in what is considered... In an everlasting film. It is a film that you cannot have one year pass without it being played multiple, multiple, multiple times. And that's really an actor's, you know, whole mission is to be, you know, to try and perpetuate your mortality. So Frank made his first motion picture in 1933. And he, he was in films like Road Gang, Sky Parade. I remember him in Kid Galahad as Barney. Um, <laughs> he had many, a name in that He one. had a name in that one. Often he was uncredited, but uh, many times he, 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 he would be credited. And um, his final performance, so he worked from 33 till 78 when he, his... Had a 42-year career, it says here. Last performance was on Quincy M.D. Ah. Yes. That's how, that's how he ended his, uh, that's how he ended his uh, career. And um, that was 1978. And he passed on August the 2nd, 1985. This is a face and a style of character actor who will probably never see... Well, you, as an actor who has been identified as one of the great character actors, where would you rate Frank Phelan, given the type of career that I he I think had? it's hard. It's hard to... That's a hard question. I mean, the fact that he... Like I said, he got to, you know, be in a couple of successful series... And that he uh, is in doing cameos in two classic films, that that gives him at least a rating of, you know, eighty. I I would agree. I would agree, and a, a good eight out of ten. I think that anyone in our age group, and somewhat below, who sees a picture of Frank Phelan may not remember his name, but they know that guy. They know that. Yeah, we're lucky. I mean, we're uh, in a way, we're lucky that in the 20th century, the film technology got to a certain level. So perhaps these films, if they're preserved, will exist uh, 100, 200 years from now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And when you they have, have to be archived and, and cared for. And when you consider the fact that he has been in It's a Wonderful Life and... Uh, Lost Weekend and in a television series that is still spoken of as far as a, a very hip yet uh, uh, interestingly educated attitude. It was a very interesting show, Dobie. Very witty. It was a very witty very show. Very great cast. Yes. I mean, 
Tuesday you know, Well. Bob Denver was spectacular. Maynard and G. And Tuesday Clips. Well, beautiful. And God, Warren. Uh, Warren. Um, Warren Beatty. Warren Beatty. Yeah. Yeah. Warren wow. Beatty looking like the Warren Beatty you'd expect. Uh, who is the guy who played Chatsworth Osborne Jr.? I forget who He played. was fabulous. Steve Franken. Steve Franken as Chatsworth Osborne Jr. That was great. Great character. It was Among a great many character. great characters. Yes. Zelda. Zelda. And Zelda, who is, you know, our uh, representative, state representative. Zelda Gilroy. Yes. California. Yep. Amazing. I mean, just, you know, just just amazing. And um, as I was as I was speculating upon when you do when you are seen even that briefly in films like It's a Wonderful Life and as Bim, because believe me, when I every time I would see that picture, once I knew I was caught in that web when I first saw that film, I had no idea I was going to get caught in that web. He was the most effective voice, the real voice of authority, the real voice of truth. That's the, right. That's what right? I was saying before. He's the, he's the straight talk. Cynical, but absolutely where the subject was at the time through everything that he'd experienced and seen. And I think in that very short scene, he gave it everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he's the one who tells you no bullshit. Yes. This is it. And, you know, we often talk about comics who are able to transfer their gifts to dramatic roles. What I began to state in the, uh, in stating that he had worked with Laurel and Hardy is that, Monogram Pictures did sign him to play a supporting player uh, along with a gentleman named Charlie Hall in those Monogram Picture comedies. Oh, that's great. So he yeah. was considered a comedic He was actor. always working. He was always working. And he could, he, could, he could do comedy, as we know. He was... <laughs> that, it doesn't get more dramatic than being the, the nurse in an alcoholic ward... Uh, but he brought a comic flair to it. But he brought a comic flair to it. He did. He, he, but he, there, know, it's, that cynicism that you're talking about. The cynicism it, also it, turns to he sarcasm. He had that kind of curdled smile on his face. And, and he's, he's nudging. Sort of like, he's yeah. nudging Don, Burn, uh, Don Burnham. He's nudging. Don Burnham, yeah. He's sticking the knife in a little deeper. Twisting. Twisting yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. It's very chilling. It's very chilling. <laughs> and once I, as I said, was caught in, 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 in that traffic myself and you're trying to see your way home, find your way home, man, oh, man, does that send a signal to you. And it was very efficient and very effective. I remember discussing it in many meetings, how effective it was in trying in bringing my feet to the ground. Um, it's a social statement, and we cannot forget that what Wilder created, because Wilder was a noted devotee to social topics. And yeah, oh yeah. What yeah. he did here was brave, and the fact that the film even got made, I think, is astounding. And on that note, we love you, and we thank you for joining us for this episode of uh, And the Splendid Boho Goes To. It is important in our estimation, to have these 
fellow artists and human beings remembered for us. They delivered some true components of divine inspiration to my life. Frank Phelan's portrayal in that particular film, Bim in Lost Weekend, was a very important signature on my heart. Uh, That's why I adore and cherish uh, those whose design in life as your design in life. And that's part, part of why I love you, is to create, share, and communicate. What else is there? That's what, that's what we do. What else is there? What, what else is there? I mean... There's for, nothing. As far as I'm concerned, that's it. That's it. That, that really that is. That and love. Of course. And the but very... But love is a component. It's part of it. The ver- Right. It's a component of it. But it's... I don't think it's as... It's as, it's as well as expressed as it once was. I think people are kind of afraid of it. It's kind of, love you, love you, love you. You know, it's a throwaway. Passion, passion for life. When people were dying in Iwo Jima, then it was, I love you. And it's in the records, too. You hear those yeah. those those recordings oh, during the Second World War, those love songs that were being played to sweethearts from America overseas. I'll be seeing you. And in I'm, all I'm, the old familiar places. I love that song. <laughs> Jimmy Beaumont's version. Jimmy oh, yeah. Beaumont's yeah, version. Yeah. Here, here. But that was very big in the World War II. Oh, sure was. Here, here, here's, here's, here's a little piece of that. I'll be seeing you in all. to Gilbert Gottfried and that's the clip I used to underscore yeah, yeah. It with photos of Gilbert I'll be seeing you in all the old familiar places I'll be looking at the moon but I'll be seeing you and while we are on this nostalgic note I'm just going to end with this firstly thank you for your support thank you for being there for us for our shows put on a stack of 45s Captain Billy's Magic 8 Ball and the Splendid Boho Goes To, and, and the Splendid Boho Goes To. We appreciate it greatly. Part of what we also, part of what we do, and this episode just rang something very significant within me. This is a reminder to me, this conversation, of what I still believe and what one of the greatest songwriters, in my estimation, who ever lived, Phil Oakes, believed. 
that America is truly something very, very special that produces great, great art. We just are still in an experimental stage. And if we can get through the mad scientists playing with the experiments instead of trying to create a better planet for everyone, we'll all be better off. And then we can review what America was meant to be. And it's in those songs, it's in those movies, and it lives within the hearts of people like Bill because his father was a military man, my father was a military man. These are things we don't forget, and I know that I don't forget them. As critical as I am of this country, and there's many things to be critical of, it has produced some magnificent, brave art. And you are one I, of, well said, well said, my friend. Thank you. And you are one of those brave artists. And let me thank tell you, you something. Bill shares things with me, and some of them you'll, you, you see posted, and some of them will be posted uh, as time goes on. But this is a energetic performer and uh, creator at an age where people stop thinking and stop dreaming. And I wish to just extend my admiration to you for your continued work that is sublime at a time when most people think the game is over. No, this game ain't over, baby. No, this game ain't no. Over. thank you. Thank you. you. It's, it's, what a, it's what I have to do. It's what you do, and it's... Uh, it's, it's, like, it's like food and you know, air and water. There's a lot of love in everything that, that you provide. And you can hear it when Bill does his narration on Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball, where he takes an 8-track of note, and then he gives you a little narrative about the album, and then we play the album, the whole, the whole friggin' thing in high definition. It's a beautiful Just completed thing. Cheech and Chong, Big Bamboo. Where do you get a load of Cheech and Chong? We did some wonderful, uh, got some great response and great numbers to George Carlin. And we figured it's time to keep a little comedy in the air. And Cheech and China. Bring back, to, bring back the funny. So, you know, and I'm listening to it and I'm saying, you know something? These guys really were fucking hysterical. Well, uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it by talking about it now. No, so. no. But I, I think that, that both Cheech, Marin, and Tommy Chung are underrated in the realm of popular culture because, man, were they on the ball at a time. When that oh, man. They, they were giants. They were giants, giants in the 70s. They weren't just on the ball. They were on the bong. <laughs> anyway. That was a fake laugh, but I'll take it. I'll take the fake <laughs> laugh. I'll take any laugh I can get. Okay, we're going to be back. We put on a stack of 45. We're going to be back with Captain Billy's Magic 8-Ball. We'll be back with another actor of note in an episode of... Uh, and the splendid boho goes to. I thank you. We thank you. My mother thanks you. My father, my father thanks, thanks you. you. My sister thanks you. And I thank you. And I thank you. Mr. Mesnick, it has been a pleasure. It has been an honor. And uh, we shall return. Bye-bye. Adios, amigos. 